0: Heavenly Father, how good to know you are the ruler of everything, and that you are a just and a loving and a kind and a faithful and a holy ruler of everything. Never does corruption come into anything to which you put your hand. Your administration is beyond flaw, and so with confidence we yield ourselves to it. We yield ourselves now to the word that you have given through the prophets, the word of God that stands eternal in the heavens. Father, may it stand resolute in our hearts this morning and in our minds as we hear it. Open it to us now, we pray, by the strength and power and enabling of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what an incredible two months we are drawing to the close of the months of January and February. Our membership months, preparing ourselves for it, and then the month of February just taking our pen and committing ourselves to say, along with our song, I choose to be holy, which you can be anywhere by the power of God but we also say, I choose to be a member of this particular local fellowship of saints, which you can only do right here, right here in Apple Valley, right here is part of the family of faith that we have. And we've been talking about, what is this family of faith like? Our sermon title, our series title has been people to live with. What, what are these people like? Who are they? As we commit ourselves to walk with them, through the next 12 months here for the last time almost the last time is our series key scripture 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27 Paul says writing to that church in Corinth in the first century he also says this by the Holy Spirit to us today he says you are the body of Christ you are the body of Christ Sun Life Church and each of you is a part of it. Nobody who belongs to Sun Life Community Church comes here on a Sunday morning to watch the church do its thing, as though they're outside it. They come here on a Sunday morning to participate in what the church, of which they are a member, is doing and will do, and and they see themselves, each of us, are a part of it. So each of us who've signed our membership role will take a unique role in the 2023 version of Sun Life Community Church, of this family of faith. Now, for the last six weeks, we've been asking the question, who are we? What kind of people are the people who make up Sun Life Community Church? And just the way it's worked out, every one of our descriptors has started with the letter R. We see here, so far we've seen the people who make up Sun Life Community Church are reborn people, resilient people, responsive people, reflective people, resolute people, and just last week we saw they are reverent people. Now those are some pretty awesome characteristics for a church of Jesus Christ. Here's today's addition to the list. Today's key identification. The people who make up Sun Life Community Church are redeemed people. People redeemed, that is set free from the penalty, power, and practice of sin. So we're changing from ours just a little bit to peace to fit them in here today. But think about that. We here in this place, you and I, as we commit ourselves to the things we commit ourselves, as we say this statement on this membership sheet is true of each of us, then that means we have placed our faith. That's what the first line says. We have placed our faith entirely in Jesus Christ as our savior from the penalty of sin. See, we're redeemed people. The dictionary that's embedded in my, son, in my Microsoft Word program says that the word redeemed means to be converted, released, liberated, freed, even emancipated. In a word, it means to be delivered from bondage or control. Now, as we start this message, consistent with that definition and accurately describing the delight of a redeemed soul is today's key verse. And this morning, we have something for our key verse we've never had before. Have you noticed it already? It's not a Bible verse. Can you imagine Can you imagine me preaching a message and say, here's our key verse of the day, and it's not actually a Bible verse, so I didn't call it our key scripture. I just said, here's today's key verse. It's a verse that was written by an incredibly godly woman. A godly woman who was born in 1820 and died in 1915. During the course of her life, and this was a person who lived her whole life blind, Never saw the light of day, but she saw the light that is Jesus Christ. She gave her heart to him, and through the course of her lifetime, she wrote nearly 8,000 gospel songs and hymns. Any old hymn book has a whole bunch of songs written by Fanny Crosby. Well, here's a verse that she wrote. The first verse of a song that is entitled simply, Redeemed. And here's how it goes. You got it right there before you. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. How many of you have ever sung that? Okay, a few of you. The aged ones here. (coughs) Redeemed. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, to tell everybody about it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, no other way. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. If God were not merciful, we would be lost eternally in our sins. His child now, and forever I am. As she wrote those words, she was seeking to express the joy and wonder of one who has been indeed set free because of Christ's sacrificial death on Calvary. Had she lived 108 years longer, she could have honestly and eagerly signed our Sun Life membership commitment. <laughs> this very year. Yeah. If she had just held on for 108 more years and had found her way to Apple Valley, she could have brought that kind of enthusiasm into our fellowship and says, let me sign, let me sign. I'm one of those redeemed ones. And everything else it says, I believe. You see, we here in this place are redeemed people. People who have been set free from the penalty and the power and the practice of sin. Now this morning, I just want us to rejoice in each one of those redemptions as we look at them one by one and then ask the Holy Spirit to just reveal to us How fully redeemed are we in each of these areas? And do we love to proclaim it? Do we love to tell others about the fact that people can be redeemed from such things is what we're going to talk about this morning. So here we go. First of all, we would and should rejoice in the fact that we, or let me say it of you, you I rejoice in this fact, getting to pastor a church like this. You have been redeemed from the penalty of sin. Sin, which is the umbrella word for anything and everything that violates the will and the ways of God, brings fearsome consequences. You have been redeemed... From the penalty, the fearsome consequences, the ultimate consequences of sin. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God condemned them to death physical death, and also what can be called spiritual death. Physical death is death of the body in this world, death of the soul both in this world and in the world to come, is spiritual death. The soul died. Their ability to relate to God spiritually, instead of being spiritually alive, they were now spiritually dead, even though they might live for hundreds and hundreds of additional years physically. Here's how the Apostle Paul expressed it in his epistle to the Romans. Romans 5.12, he said this, Now sin entered the world through one man. Know how we sang the song, I choose to be holy? There came a day, and it's hard to fathom why and how, but Adam and first his wife Eve made a choice to no longer be holy to no longer be completely dedicated, committed to the will and the ways of God as they've been revealed to them and they made a choice to violate the very guidelines, the very commands God had given to them and that violation is called sin. And so Paul says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and so death came upon all men, for all have sinned. Sinful thinking and living became the default position of the human race. From Adam's time onward, human beings have been born into sin. They are sinners by nature, and they are sinners by choice. And their sin is an offense to God. He cannot fellowship with them in that sinful condition. And so they are still born spiritually dead, spiritually unconnected from a holy, righteous God. In that same letter, letter, a little bit later, Paul would say, Romans 6.23, Now the wages of sin, the consequences of sin, the payment for sin is death, just like God told Adam it would be. There's a penalty for sin. In the eyes of God, human beings resemble a man who who has somehow escaped from death row. Now, that's pretty hard to do, so we're just imagining that. A man who's been put in solitary on death row, his execution date has been set, and somehow he escapes. He lives his life as though he were free. But he's not. A death sentence hangs over his head. He is condemned, and he knows that when he is recaptured, that sentence will be carried out. Whenever he thinks about his fate, he trembles. It's a terrible thing to live under the penalty of death. A terrible thing to know that it's only a matter of time until that judgment is carried out. And that's how all sinful human beings live. There's an inner guilt that hounds them, and there is a future judgment that haunts them. What a joyous thing it would be if man could be set free, that is, redeemed from such a fate and such a thought would be more than enough to cause a blind believer like Fanny Crosby to pick up her pen and write redeemed. How I love to proclaim it to anybody who will listen. You see, and that's the very thought that mankind's loving creator has revealed to be residing in his mind. All redeemed. How I would love to provide it. Says the Father. You see, God the Father not only conceived, but He carried out a plan to actually do the thing that would provide such redemption. Something that could set the members of Adam's fallen race free from the death penalty of sin. God would send His own beloved Son. He would send his own beloved son to take man's place on death row, as it were, and take man's punishment for him. Here's how Paul explained it in his second letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, Now God, the Father, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin, or to become a sin sacrifice for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now that verse, that verse expresses the truth of what has become known as the substitutionary atonement. You see, rather than sinful man paying an eternal price for the horror of his own sin, God provided a substitute for him. God's own Sinless son. And so in keeping with the illustration of the morning, we could say that when the executioners came down death row to carry out their necessary but gruesome task, they found a different prisoner in the cell of the condemned. They found a completely innocent man who had willingly taken upon himself the punishment rightfully assigned to the guilty. in keeping with the provisions of the law and in keeping with the desires of this innocent one, they accepted the substitute. And they carried out judgment upon him. Simply put, those executioners allowed the guilty man to be set free, to be redeemed from the penalty of his sins. So we could say in the eyes of the law... His judgment had been carried out. He was free to go. He was once again, in the eyes of the law, an innocent man. Now, the Apostle Paul shared that very same conclusion in that letter of his to the Roman church. Romans 8.1, Paul says, therefore, because of all this that Christ has done, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus ever since Jesus substituted himself in the place of the sinners anyone who would receive that substitution receive him as their Savior their sin was given on him put on him he died as a substitute for them and Paul says therefore obviously there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ, for those who've accepted what Christ has done on their behalf. Paul was saying to the Roman believers who had been reborn through faith in Jesus Christ, and through their faith in his loving sacrifice for them, he's saying, you have been redeemed from the penalty of sin. All of you who have received our gospel message, All of you who have then received Jesus Christ as your Savior, who have confessed your sins and acknowledged him as the Son of God and the sacrifice and the substitute for you, you who have put your faith and hope of eternal life in him, you, have been redeemed from the penalty of sin. I reiterate those very words to you who have been reborn through faith in Jesus Christ. Those words we've said earlier, you have been reborn. Excuse me, you've been redeemed from the penalty of sin. And so she wrote redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood, the sacrifice of the Lamb. Well, who in the world wouldn't want to proclaim such a thing? Who in the world world, would not want to tell a story like that? I was condemned. I was a sinner. I was under the judgment of God. I was awaiting a death sentence that would last for all eternity. And then Jesus came. And he took my punishment from me and put it on himself and said, if I will trust him, if I will trust that his death on Calvary really changes God's heart toward me, then God's heart toward me will be changed. And he will consider me to be forgiven, innocent, no longer under the penalty of sin. Now that's something to rejoice in. But there's more. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. There's more, but this more, I'm afraid a great many professing Christians in, in our world, in our country, those that we know, maybe sometimes even us ourselves, the something more is not quite understood. It's almost like the getting saved from hell is enough reason to proclaim it. Getting saved from the penalty of sin is enough reason to shout the goodness of Jesus Christ. And that becomes the story. Maybe the only story we share. It's true, but it's an incomplete story. Here's the second thing. You see, you, if you really believe in Jesus Christ, if you've really accepted what we're seeking to teach and share and live in this church, if you're accepting what the Bible says about Christian living, the second fact is you have been redeemed from the power of sin. Not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. You see, the point we make here is that sin does more than just condemn us to eternal judgment, sin brings with it much more than just a penalty. Sin changed Adam and Eve. Sin became the dominant force in their lives. Sin influenced their thinking and their deciding. Sin established an entirely new outlook on life. The outlook that says, I can decide for myself. I can make my own decisions about what is right and wrong. And that spirit of independence was passed on to their children and to their children's children, and all the way down to us here today. And again, then, we find the Apostle Paul being the revealer of this truth in that well-worn letter he wrote to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Jews and Gentiles alike, and by that he means every single living human being, everyone. Jews and Gentiles, that covered them all. They are all under the power of sin. That's the way the New Living Translation puts it. The NIV just says, and the King James says, they're, they're all under sin, under it, affected by it. But what comes immediately afterwards what Paul shares about the ugliness of the lives lived by those who are sinners, it becomes pretty clear that those additional words clarify some things. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Sin is the most powerful force in the natural world. Sin controls mankind. Sin blinds mankind to God's truths. Sin denies its own existence. It calls itself by other names. Enlightenment. Empowerment. Self-determination. Even the word liberty. And the exercise of its power... In that exercise, sin can continue to control even one. Now, listen sin can continue to control even one who has been redeemed from sin's penalty through faith in Christ. That's a great problem that has arisen over the past 50 years or so in the American church. The penalty of sin has been preached continually. The way to be redeemed from the penalty of sin has been powerfully preached as well. And those who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior are counted in the millions. We praise God for that. Every one of them, putting their faith in Jesus Christ, has been delivered from the penalty of sin. That's a marvelous deliverance. But that's only the beginning of the redemption that God really plans. You see, you can be absolute delivered from the penalty of sin and still be under the power of sin. Still have sinful thoughts. Still have sinful actions. Still have sinful notions. Even like those that say, man, I, gotta, I just got to carve out my own life for myself. That, own, that spirit of, My life is still under my control. I'm responsible for it. I need to function and and show myself to be a self-determined person. Those are all thoughts that come from sin. And believers, many believers, have their minds filled with those thoughts. You see, it's possible to be redeemed from the penalty of sin... And to rejoice in that, but still be as bound in sin as before they accepted Christ. And so believers like this run hot and cold. They join the church and they fall away. Their desires in this world about what they are seeking have changed very little. They are like the man who being delivered from death row still carries around with him a murderous heart and a vengeful spirit. And you might find him later in life doing the very same thing, taking the very same steps, committing the very same crime that put him on death row in the first place. He was delivered from that initial penalty But he's still the same guy in many ways. His attitudes, his thoughts, his feelings, sin still has a a hold on him. Even though God has forgiven him. You see, a person like that would appear to be nothing more, to have nothing more than what's commonly called a jailhouse conversion. Paul was not naive about the power of sin. All unsaved human beings live under its power, and many saved ones do too, or at least feel its power. And so he wrote these words to the body of mostly new believers in the church at Rome. This time it's Romans 6.14, and Paul says to them, Now listen, listen. Romans 5, he's talked about the marvelous work of Jesus Christ and how death came into the world and Jesus Christ has been the solution for that and the penalty of sin is is taken away. But he says, listen, sin now, now that you've been redeemed from sin's penalty, now that you've accepted Christ as your Savior, now that you know that he died for you and you've put your faith in him, now that that is true, sin shall really, no longer be your master. For you are no longer under law, but under grace. And then he writes these words in Romans 8, 6. Now, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit... Somehow the person who's broken free from the power of sin to control their thinking and their behaving and their wanting and their desiring and their living, somehow the mind that's controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. This is like when Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I mean, real life, eternal life, good life, life in fellowship with a, with a holy, loving, good God. That's what, that's what I've come to provide. Sin doesn't want you to have any bit of that. Sin wants to still control you and me and influence our thinking. Even though by God's good grace we've been forgiven and the judgment on our sin has been paid by another, we still have the tendency to sin, some of the feelings about sin right within us. And for many Christians, what Paul calls sin is still calling the shots in their life. And he's saying to this group of young believers, he says, that shouldn't be true. That shouldn't be the way it is. Sin shall no longer, should no longer be your master. For you're no longer under law, but under God's grace. You see, sin's powerful control over a believer can be broken but not by replacing sin's power with our own. Our own power has the power and has the force of a New Year's resolution. Sin develops habits in us. Sin creates desires in us. Sin results in us doing stuff that we're ashamed of when we get done doing it. Or maybe some of our best friends says, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And we become aware of, wow, that's not something Jesus would do. That's not something Jesus would want. I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to wait till next January 1. I'm going to put that thing on my list. And you know sometimes it lasts all the way to January 3. You see, sin's control and sin's power is immense. And sin's powerful control over us cannot be broken, can be broken, but not by us exerting a more powerful force ourselves. We are still too fragile. We're still too susceptible to sinful thoughts and feelings to pull that off. Paul knew that. Paul knew it was even true of himself as an apostle. He agonized some of those battles in Romans chapter 7 where he says, you know, there are, there are things I do that I don't want to do. There's things that I've resolved to do that I don't do. What is the deal? He said, it's sin inside me. Because, see, we were born in sin. We have a sin nature. We're by nature rebellia- rebellers against God. And Paul says, even for him, He could feel the tug of that. He could see the results of that. And so he's saying, you know, we can't just grit our teeth and overcome that power. It's the Spirit of God. See, even as Jesus redeemed us from the penalty of sin, so it's the Almighty Spirit of God who redeems us, who frees us from the power of sin. The power of sin is overcome as we consciously and willfully yield our lives to the person of the Holy Spirit who Jesus our Savior sent to walk with us through this world and to bring a kind of uh, divine power that we can't generate from within ourselves. The very power that falls flat on its face in front of sin's temptations is is not the power that wins the war. The Holy Spirit brings a power that is so so much greater than that. Divine power. And when He is guiding our steps we can actually break the power of sin that controls us and guides us and, and it's a marvelous redemption. You've been redeemed, we could add, from the power of sin itself. Oh, how I love to proclaim that. And then just a third thing as we close here this morning. Thirdly, we can rejoice together. You can rejoice with me that you have been redeemed from the practice of sin. Now, that's just a logical outcome of being redeemed from the power of sin. Once the power of sin is broken... All of us want to live lives that honor God, right? It's the power of sin within us that that has us falling down, messing up, not doing what we want to do. Once that power is broken, our desire remains to live a life that honors God and pleases God, and therefore the practices of sin are set aside. We have no more we have no desire for them. We never did have desire for them as a believer, but Sin itself desires those things. But when the power of sin is broken, then we can also be redeemed from the practices that sin leads to. And we live a much more godly life. And we want to live a life that pleases God, a life that honors him, a life that brings glory to the Son of God who sits at the right hand of the throne. And so we say here, what what congregation of reborn people does not want to be seen as being resilient and resourceful and responsive, resolute, reverent? All of those things actually characterize those who have been set free from the power of sin and have been made free to do the very things that God wants them to do. They are the ones who, as Jesus said, let their light so shine before men, that is the watching world, that their good deeds are seen and their heavenly Father is glorified. Let me just read a few closing scriptures and let them strike your heart. Most of them, three out of the four, come from a letter that Paul wrote to a young servant of Christ named Titus. And here's what he said. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us, to redeem us from all wickedness. See, not just from hell, not just from the penalty, but to redeem us from all wickedness. That is the power that wickedness would have over us and the doing of things that are wicked in the eyes of God. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, who are eager to do what is good. That's you. More often than not, is it not? Jesus died not only to remove the penalty of sin from us, but to redeem us as well from the power and practice of sin and to produce a life of righteousness within us by the work of his Holy Spirit whom he would send to us. Titus, we read then, Titus 3.8 says this, those who have trusted in God should be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. That's the attitude of a of a redeemed person being redeemed from the sin's power in their life and able to think clearly what God wants and to hear the voice of the spirit a person like that is eager is careful to devote themselves to what is good doing what is good here again is that willful choice to live differently Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 now the grace of God that brings salvation See, that's that's the first thing. The grace of God brings salvation. What? From judgment, from hell, brings us salvation from that. But it also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's what the grace of God will do. And who in this world today dispenses the grace of God? The Holy Spirit just pours that grace into the hearts of all those who are open to him, who belong to Christ, and who desire to live lives that are are honoring to God, just like you are. To just solidify things in our minds, let me read this verse, written to the Galatian believers that... By this point, we should all have this verse, as it were, printed and hung right on the the walls of our heart. We use it again and again. I use it probably as much as Billy Graham used John 3.16. And here it is, Galatians 5.25. Live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's like he just won't let you do it. He will have you in such a frame of mind that you don't want to do it. He will have that new life of Christ being generated in you to such a degree that the old sinful nature that has desires that are displeasing to God, you pretty much have squelched in you. Those desires have passed away. The Spirit's put new desires in your heart, and your new life in Christ has gotten strong enough that it just reaches out after the things of God. You will not, when you live by the Spirit, gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You see, the Spirit of God, Numa himself, he walks us right into the fullness of the redemption that our Heavenly Father planned for us. Redeemed, how I'd love to proclaim it, You are, we are together redeemed from the penalty of sin, redeemed from the power of sin, and redeemed from the practice of sin. Let's have a, let's spend a glorious time these next 12 months just walking together in the midst of this community as those who are redeemed by our Lord God. Final thought says this blessed indeed. Blessed indeed is a church body that is composed of people who have been set free from the penalty and the practice and the power and the practice of sin. Sun Life Community Church is composed of such redeemed people. People to live with. People who can live together well and find God's smile of approval upon them. Heavenly Father... Some things we say today we've known our whole lives. Perhaps we heard the story of, of Christ's great sacrifice from the time we were very little. And we know that he took the penalty of sin upon himself. We review that. We rehearse that we talk about that we tell others about that Jesus is the savior he saves us from sin he saves us from judgment but he also said he came to to lead us to deliver us into a life that is full and abundant and father to know that life we need to be redeemed from the power of sin for sin is ever present Sin has been, as I said, the default position of mankind from the very beginning now, after the first sin. And so, Father, we ask. We ask that we would remember to cling close to the only one with enough power to diffuse the power of sin in this world and in our lives. The very Spirit of God, who is righteous, who is holy was powerful, Father, we yield ourselves as a congregation to to his control and and ask that the, the power of sin in us would be weakened, and the power in us that comes from God himself would become more and more prominent. Father, when we gather together as a congregation, we like to say all of this worldliness is shut outside the four walls of this room. Well, Father, may that be true more and more when we go out beyond the four walls of this room to say the Holy Spirit is squelching the power of sin in our lives and as a result we have no desire to practice it, to do things that dishonor you, to do things that disobey you. and Father, we pray that increasingly we who inhabit this place, who form this body of believers, would be living in a way that others are drawn to you. For we ask this now in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.